My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. I remember when I first came into sea angling back in the 1970s, desperately wanting to catch my first thornback ray, and was told to try a trip out from Rill, which I did, and bingo, we had around 30 of the things that day, which, by the standards of that time, was nothing out of the ordinary. But the ray fishing most certainly isn't like that now in 2010, and unfortunately, not only at Rill, but at most other venues around the country, where it's been in the doldrums for quite a few years now. However, to compensate for that, the numbers of most other species here are as good as they ever were, with the added bonus of the recent appearance in ever-increasing numbers of smoothhounds to help spice things up. For this interview, I'm sat in the wheelhouse of Tony Parry's charter boat Jensen 2, and fishing a half mile or so away from us is Tony's other boat Suveran, skippered by his son Simon. We're anchored up quite close to the Rill Flats wind farm, which I know Tony will have something to say about in due course. But for now, I'd like to kick things off by taking a compare and contrast overview look at the general fishing situation around this corner of North Wales. Right, when I first started boat fishing at Rill, I was nine year old, and I used to go out with a very, very well known charter skipper by the name of John Pover. We used to see gurnards, dabs, whiting, doggies, rays, taupe, pretty much the same as we see now. Getting a little bit older in life, I started crewing on the boats, and during some holidays, I started spending most of my time, or virtually all my time, in some holidays out every day fishing. I wouldn't say fishing has changed that much from then till now, apart from the thornback rays have really, really declined and the turbot have declined. I put that mostly down to the netting that's been going on for the, the last 25 years. There's a lot of fish been taken in uh, in nets, not trawling but static gear, specifically targeting the thornback rays and the turbot. That's a national thing, though, isn't it? Rather it's, than a local thing. It it is it is national. Yeah, it's it's not so much here. It's it's widespread. It's all around the country. But as for, as for your general bottom fishing, I wouldn't say there's a, there's a great deal of difference in in between the the species we catch now to the species we used to catch 30 years ago. Uh, we, we did in the 70s and early 80s get a hell of a lot of spur dog early in the year, April and May we used to get some cracking spur dog fishing close inshore and then they opened the fishery up to the um, commercial market and uh, the Hollyhead boats and the Amluck boats and dare say some of the Fleetwood boats were lining for spur dog and they were all getting shipped over to Spain by the wagon load. I can remember being up in in Hollyhead and seeing as many as four Arctics being loaded with boxes of spur dogs and that literally wiped the spur dog out although we, we still get them now but we've got to travel sort of like 20-25 mile offshore to to pick them up. But your, your general bottom fishing, like your, your dabs, your whiting, your gurnard, your mackerel, uh, taupe and everything else, I, I wouldn't say there's any major difference. Probably about 15 to 20 years ago we started seeing one or two black bream and they've come on in numbers, although this year it's not it's not been too brilliant fishing for them, but we've, we've still had odd ones, but they've really come on. It's, they seem to be the only place this side of Carnarvon where we pick them up. Um, smooth hound, that's another thing, probably the last eight or nine years 
started targeting smooth down because a, a local salmon netsman picked a few up in one of his nets one year and I thought oh we'll have a go for them so the first year started targeting them didn't know too much about how to fish for them and where to fish for them picked one or two up and then as the years progressed we got more and more and better and better at catching them and uh, we can we can do a five hour trip now and on a good day we can pick 50 smooth hound up in five hours I remember you inviting me down back in 2005 and what an excellent day we had hardly 10 minutes out from the harbour mouth it's well, right on the low water mark Phil yeah it's um it's very very close in we've found the the best bait for them is um, British prawn don't have to be live but as long as they're fresh they wipe the floor with anything you can put a peeler crab in put a prawn next to it and the fish will take the prawn far far quicker than it'll take the peeler crab you can bait up put another prawn in and you'll have another fish on that before the fellas had a bite on the peeler crab uh, although peeler crab do work very well this year we've seen some really good fish with the smooth hound. There's, um, there's been fish up to £17, whereas normally you got an £8 fish, it was, a, it was a decent fish. I've noticed a similar trend up our way too. We've had them at Cleveland's for a lot longer than you have at Rill, but mainly small fish. Then suddenly this year there have been some real clunkers. I had one in excess of £15 back in April while I was fishing for place. I've had one trip this year where I had four double figure smooth hound. I've had another trip where I had three double figure smooth hound. I had one trip where I had one fella broke three club records in the one trip, always smooth hound. His uh, previous club record was eight pounds something and he ended up with an 11-11, which, uh, which is the heaviest one on the day. Uh, but it's been very good this year. One of the other charter boats picked one up of uh, £17 and there's been a couple round of 13 but it, it's been really great this year for Smooth Hound and we can pick bass up while we're fishing for Smooth Hound as well which is an added bonus. This year hasn't been as good as last year for bass but I think everybody's had the, had the fair share of them while they've been fishing. And what about the rest of the species in the regular mix? In particular, the taupe, for which Rill has a very good reputation, and especially the gurnards, which in these parts are as numerous and grow as big as anywhere I've ever seen in the country. Yeah, the gurnards are probably the um, the best in the country. We get four species of gurnard here. We actually we actually get three that are ever present throughout the summer. That's the tubred and the grey, and very very occasionally you'll see a street gurnard. It's not a very common fish. It's quite it's quite rare, and it looks very very much like a tub gurnard and unless you're quick to spot it you probably wouldn't notice the difference. Now that's interesting. The only place I've ever seen street gurners before is off the west coast of Ireland and even then only the odd one. But as you say it would be easy to overlook unless of course you knew what you was looking for. For anyone that might be interested in keeping an eye out for one the key feature is the lateral line, which has loose ridges of skin coming away at right angles to it, both top and bottom. The face of the street gurnard is also very blunt, and it usually has blue spots instead of a blue edging to its pectoral fins. Every year there's several fish over six pound tub gurnards. Uh, you might get one going into the sevens, but they probably run between average weight three and five pound from mid-May till the end of July at the latest and then they start tailing off and we start getting a lot of small fish. Tope fishing we get uh, sort of like mid-May again through to the end of July. 
every year there'll be one or two fish around 70 maybe just over 70 pound I know this year there's been at least four fish over 70 pound all caught very very close inshore all in shallow water good fish at that sort of weight but what would you say was a more typical average for real average size of the tub varies from years uh, from year to year uh, some years you can get inundated with fish in the 20 to 30 pound bracket other years it's 30 to 40 pound bracket but I'd say over the over the years I've been running charter trips and taking people out fishing I, w I would say if you looked at 30 to 35 pound that would be your average fish. Now I know that for the past several years you've been spending your winters at Liverpool Marina to fish the Mersey which is something we'll look at in more detail in due course. But for the winter of 2008-2009, because of refurbishment work being carried out on the lock gates at Coburg Dock, you were forced to stay at Rill and try running a few winter trips down there. Just out of curiosity, what was that particular winter's fishing like? It was a very bad winter that year. I think I did something like nine trips for the whole winter. It was, it was abysmal. The weather was terrible. The winter fishing at Rill is mainly dabs and whiting plenty of. The whiting can, uh, fishing can be just like being in a shoal of mackerel, you can drop a paternoster down with three hooks on and you can pull three whiting in within a couple of seconds. Dab fishing, the dabs are there but because the whiting are there in numbers they tend to get to the baits first. You'll get dogfish, you'll get the odd codling and you'll pick the odd thornback ray up but we've already discussed the reason why the thornback rays aren't in numbers. On top of that you also have an ace up your sleeve in the form of quite an extensive range of offshore wrecks. The close proximity to Liverpool, plus a lot of wartime U-boat activity has seen for that. Not perhaps on a par with the deep water wrecks of the English Channel, but still very good on the day, particularly for Pollock. So how would you describe the fishing, the key booking times and the tactics to anyone interested in visiting Rill purely with wreck fishing in mind? At the moment the wrecks are fishing very very well because the weather from the end of June through till the end of August has been absolutely dire and nobody's been getting out there but when when we get out to the wrecks they are fishing very very well. Simon's done a bit more than me this year on the on the wrecks. He's had a couple of trips out there. He had one one trip with just under a hundred Pollock. This was brought ashore, not the actual fish that he landed on the boat, it was the actual fish he brought ashore, just under a hundred pollock to seven and a half pound. I think he had three cod, a ling and a coley, and then a fortnight later he had the same group of lads on. He had a hundred and nineteen pollock, fifteen cod, three ling, and I did one a couple of weeks later. Not really a suitable day, the tide was too big, but we had about fifty or sixty pollock up to about eight and a half pound. But the wrecks are fishing really well. I can offer two types of wreck fishing. If you're looking for pollock, you're looking for a, a 26, 27, 28 foot tide where you've got a bit of movement in the tide. I don't like using shads because they're too big, but if you've got small shads around about three or four inches, they work really well. Jelly worms, I like Any, anything black with an orange tail or anything black with a green tail or the gel text ones, the orange, orange gel text work very well. Sidewinders. I was given a pack of them to try, four-inch ones. The uh, the mackerel found them very very good. Another method we use is frozen sandeel, blast frozen sandeel. If you get one about five or six inches long, just put your hook in through the eyes, 
it's a good strong place to support the hook and you fish it exactly the same you do with a jelly worm. I like to use about 15 foot of 20 pound clear mono as my trace. I find people that use high vis monos don't have the success that I have using clear mono but whether you're using a jelly worm or a, a shad or a sand beel fishing for pollock you want 26 27 foot 28 foot tide you get a bit of movement in the tide fish them all the same and you should have a good day the other way uh, we can fish is on the smaller tides 26 foot down and if you want conger or if you want to try and get a lingo or something like that we can fish the inshore wrecks and you can spend most of the day anchored up fishing for conger or ling because the tide's not running as hard you get more time fishing on the bottom talking about the potential of fishing off rill myself for this year I'm on 37 species that's me personally not what's caught on the boat I haven't had a, a black bream I haven't had a turbot I haven't had a dover sole I haven't had a brill I haven't had a mullet or a garfish so it just gives you a rough idea of what's about here and presumably all of those fish have been caught on the boat this year just not by you personally either on the boat or the shore one final point worth making about Rill is that it isn't just about charter boat fishing. It's possible to put boats in with the facilities on offer at Prestatin Yacht Club, and there's some good shore fishing in the area too. In fact, you have some pretty impressive flounder fishing by any standards. Early in the year, around about late April, May and June, if you, if you fish the tide up with small peeler crab baits, and fish like tackle like a spinning rod with a one or two hook trace there's some fantastic flounder fishing I mean some of the flounders in there must be touching three pound easily and another fascinating thing is standing on the quay wall and watching the mullet swim up the river some days they go up in shoals of hundreds catching them's another story <laughs> I believe there's also quite a few bass to be caught from the nearby beaches too I know that you've had your fair share of them over recent years. Yeah, it's been pretty poor this year, although um, the uh, the gales we had over the bank holiday weekend, I know quite a few lads got out on the beach at low water and had a good a good doing a bass. There was, uh, one or two lads had a couple of double headers of bass as well, which is, is virtually unheard of. Um, I know one, one lad had been fishing for over 50 years and he, uh, he caught his first ever double header of bass. But like I say, this year has been it's been pretty poor. It's not been expected. But um, no, you you can get out on the beach, low water if you get a westerly wind, round to the north, and it's blowing in your face around a force four, force five. Normally a fresh bit of lugworm sees to it and plenty of fish there. But like I say, this year has not been too brilliant. And what about bass for the boats out on the banks? Yeah, there's been one or two on the uh, on the boat when we've been fishing for smooth down down the down the D quite a few bass I think Simon had 13 one day most I've managed in a day's three I know Steve on the Supremes had a, had a day where he's had about half a dozen but uh, they've been pretty good fish they've been averaging sort of like two pound up to about six pound what you've described so far is a very diverse spring summer and autumn fishery with lots of quality fish thrown in for good measure and while the ray fishing isn't what it was though you do compensate for this with huge numbers of the things in the early part of the winter when you move up to the Mersey there is still plenty going on for the moment at least to keep your anglers happy that said there is a potential problem looming on the horizon and not only here but all around the country with the expansion of offshore wind farms providing so-called green energy 
people, as we're now starting to see, this may not be as green as those investing in it are making out. For while it may be environmentally friendly in terms of the negligible carbon footprint it leaves, it consumes great swathes of potential fish habitat, and on an alarming scale. Not only that, it's also consuming fishing marks. So, with two quite sizeable wind farms slap bang on your doorstep, and no doubt more in the pipeline, how, if at all, has your ability to work been impeded by the current drive for renewable energy? And in your view, are things likely to get worse for angling as a whole in the future as a result? Yeah, we're losing we're losing fishing marks to the uh, to the wind farms. Uh, we've got three wind farms here. One doesn't bother us in the least because that's that's well out of the way. That's on the Burbo bank on the edge of the Mersey estuary. Uh, it's, it doesn't interfere with us at all. But the Rill Flats and the um, North Hoyle, they've taken over fishing grounds. They're only small wind farms, but they you know we've lost fishing grounds there. The uh, the Gwintermore when it's up and running it's going to cover somewhere in the region of 32 square miles and a lot of my present fishing marks are in the area marked for that wind farm those marks sadly are going to be lost I don't think I'll be able to fish them again I'm going to have to find new grounds probably going to have to travel further to, to find fishing marks I don't, I don't know it's, it's something we're just going to have to wait and see see what happens hopefully the fishing won't be affected you know, we're looking at the uh, the two wind farms that we've got just off real at the moment. We can fish on the outside of them within sort of like a mile or maybe a couple of miles from them and we're okay for catching fish, so hopefully when the winter moor goes up we should be able to do the same. But it's something we're just going to have to wait and see. I don't, I don't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say... I wouldn't like to cut my throat and say, no, we're not going to catch any fish. And I wouldn't like to boost everybody's hopes up and say it's going to benefit the fishing. We're actually anchored up quite close to the Rill Flats wind farm at the moment, but it's the other one further up the coast, the North Hoyle wind farm, that I'd like you to turn your attention to just for the moment. Historically, you used to get a lot of very good top on a mark now within the wind farm's area of coverage, but not anymore, and not just because they don't want people to fish between the turbines. The problem goes much deeper than that and actually extends beyond the windmills themselves to the run of the cables taking the electricity back to shore. What then do you think is the problem there? Years ago before the um, the North Hoyle wind farm was up and running we used to fish in a, in a gully in between the banks on the approaches to the River Dee uh, for taupe and we used to get a lot of big taupe, big pregnant females. Uh, we used to get a lot of male taupe in there chasing the females and various other bits and pieces and since the wind farm has been up and running and has been producing electricity the fishing there for taupe has been virtually non-existent we still catch fish but just odd ones nowhere near the numbers or the sizes of fish that that we used to get and we think it's something to do with the electricity coming from the cable which is running to shore in Rill it runs straight through the gully and we think it's interfering with the fish it's not put the fishing off completely but we are finding fish on other marks rather than that particular mark. There have been quite a few scientific studies on the effects of electromagnetism on sharks and rays swimming and feeding in the vicinity of power carrying cables but as yet nothing conclusive 
though I suspect it's going to be species specific anyway, as some sharks in particular are more reliant on their ability to detect electrical impulses from the heartbeats of concealed prey items than others. That said, in some instances, and this could well be one of them, good anecdotal evidence gathered over a very prolonged period should be given more weight than generalised scientific studies and your observations appear to suggest that green energy in this particular instance may not be as environmentally friendly as the green lobby might have us all believe as they tie in very accurately with the actual switch on time without any problems recorded in the previous seasons yeah it's um, since the wind farm's been up and running I mean during the construction of the wind farm there was a lot of um, hammering and banging when they were putting the piles in um, with the North Hoyle wind farm that could be heard miles away uh, when they were doing the real flats wind farm they had a muffler on it and the noise wasn't so bad uh, we found the noise when they, were, when they were doing the piling was disrupting the fishing although the, um, the piling is short term it doesn't, doesn't last very long it might be a couple of months or something like that uh, that was affecting the fishing but the big thing that's affected the taupe fishery is since the wind farm's been up and running we think it's something to do with, with either vibration from the wind farm or electrical current uh, we have two marks or we had two marks one approximately three quarters of a mile from turbine three and one about another three quarters of a mile south of that which was in the gully and none of these marks produce anywhere near the amount of fish that they used to produce and it's since the wind farm has been up and running we don't have any problem catching tope elsewhere once once we're further away from the wind farm uh, during the, the right time of year for tope we don't have any problem catching them numbers are the same, sizes are the same and they just seem to have moved on to, to different grounds. And you previously had no problem catching taupe there prior to the wind farm? None whatsoever. It was within easy reach of shore, short distance from the port. We used to head there, do more or less guaranteed. We're still getting further along the bank. If we head further down the estuary and get away from the wind farm, we're still getting down there, but it's, it's just this one particular spot and it just happens to be where the cables run the shore. Yet one of the big boasts regarding this particular source of renewable energy is its environment friendly credentials, which could then well prove not to be the case. The, um, the wind farm, although it is supposed to be environmentally friendly, I don't think they've actually looked into the effects on fish. I know when they were talking about putting the cable ashore, there was a big big conflab about putting it up the river. They wanted to run the cable down the centre of the river to the substation and they were not backed by the um, environment agency uh, because of the salmon and sea trout running up the river and they thought it may have a really big effect on the run of fish going up the river so is there like one law for the game fishermen and one law for the sea fishermen you know as in it's okay they're only, they're only boat anglers the fish will move somewhere else whereas the salmon won't You've given us a detailed overview of what the general makes the mainstream fishing is all about. But what about any unusual catches, or even one-off oddities? You must have seen your share of those in the area too. Yeah, we get a few um, weird species turn up from time to time, like greater weavers. I've never, never, ever actually seen any here off Rill, and I caught two in two days. 
both on the same mark. I mean, it could have been the same fish for all I know, but both about 14 inches long. Beautiful looking fish. A couple of years back, Simon had a, a red mullet, and the same week there was one caught off landed no pier. Uh, triggerfish. The only the only place near to us that I know of triggerfish are actually in the Menai Straits. There's one or two been caught over the over the past few years. We've never seen any down here. We get quite a few ballon wrasse. They're not rare fish, but for a place that's got a lot of flat ground and no features, we get our fair share of ballon wrasse, and we get um, a few gold sinnies, tom pot blennies. Uh, dragonets and sea scorpions which aren't aren't rare but the small species the reason why you don't see too many of them is because people are fishing too big a hook but if you fish small baits small hooks you'll see quite a lot of them garfish are another one we, we get a fair share of garfish through the year they tend to come foul up and tangle up in a, in a set of mackerel feathers because people aren't targeting them you know they swim in the top five or six foot of water and people are fishing 30 40 foot down but they, they turn up every now and again what about encounters with sharks do you ever see any evidence of those particularly on or around the wrecks yeah poor beagles one year I saw five in five consecutive trips out to the same wreck probably the same fish up to about 200 pound had a had a cod about five pound in weight bitten in half and then I was pulling the anchor in, fell a fillet in a pollock through the banjo over the side and the shark came up, took the banjo right at the side of the boat. Had a blue shark to the side of the boat in 1997. Now that is unusual so far up in the relatively shallow waters of the Irish Sea. Blues in my experience tend to be more deep water, open oceanic fish. I got one to the side of the boat, I was totally gobsmacked. I was fishing about 11 mile offshore on um, a mark we fish on the small tides and I'm trying to remember the woman's name now she hooked it and I was stood at the side of the boat thinking it was a tow. first thing I noticed in the water it, it was black in colour and then I noticed the size of the pectoral fins it come up to the side of the boat and it just spun up about six times the line snapped and it went it's about 35 pound in weight and I believe there was one about eight or nine pound caught last year off New Brighton. And what about different species of rays? I used to see the odd blonde ray and the odd um, the odd spotted and cuckoo years ago and the odd, the odd underlip, but uh, the only rays that we get get nowadays all seem to be thornbacks. There was um, there was an electric ray one year caught in a in a gill net about eighty pound in weight, and I actually saw that in. Um, in the Sea Life Centre, the, the lad that caught it took it in there, but sadly it died and they put it in the freezer and I, I saw it in the, in a bag in the freezer and it was it was huge. Clearly then, the rays as a group, and the thornbacks in particular, have taken a substantial hammering, and not just here, but pretty much all around the country. One exception to this is the New Brighton side of the River Mersey, from the end of the summer up until Christmas which is where yourself, plus a few of the other old boats, will be from around October onwards. Actually, thinking about it, the Mersey very probably wasn't such a good producer of rays or anything much else for that matter in years gone by, due to the high pollution concentration it carried, prior to the rigid enforcement of new environmental legislation starting back in 1989. But it most certainly attracts huge numbers of the things now. 
So much so that research scientist Rachel Ball, based at the Liverpool Museum Aquarium, is now undertaking the Mersey Ray Tagging Project, in which I know you are actively involved. Can you tell us a little about the aims and objectives of that? Yeah, it's um, something that's been brought on by um, Plymouth Aquariums. They, they wanted to look into um, why the ray stocks were declining, and they wanted to see if raising one part of the country were genetically linked to rays in another part of the country and how far rays were migrating as to why they were getting wiped out in one area or disappearing from one area and pretty abundant in another. We've been tagging them since last winter, since uh, October 2009 on the Mersey and between myself Simon and Steve Andrews on the Supreme we've tagged over 250 fish all on the Mersey there's been a couple that have been recaptured uh, one of the very first fish that Simon tagged travelled six miles up the river before it was recaught it put on a couple of pounds as well but we think this might be due to it may have been full of full of crab because they find a lot of rays in the river gorge themselves on crab since I've come back to real, I've only tagged about five fish, although I have caught a few more than that. But I've not actually seen a, a tagged fish return, but the idea of, is, of it is to try and monitor the movements of the fish and see where they're going. It's well documented that since its water quality has improved, the River Mersey has developed into one of the major forces on the northwest sea angling scene. And not only does it attract lots of important angling species, it also offers a level of protection and shelter unequalled possibly anywhere else in the country. This surely has become a winter lifeline, not only to yourself, but quite a number of other real boats basing themselves at Liverpool from around October on into the new year. We always used to go shrimping in the, in the winter, all the boats used to be licensed commercially and used to make up for lack of trips and whatever else. Uh, when I started on my own went self-employed I looked at other options and I, I went down the Menai Straits for about five or six years and one or two of the anglers there turned around and said to me why should we come down here for dabs and whiting when we can catch them on our own doorstep and better quality you want to come down the Mersey anyway cut the story short I got dragged down there by a couple of lads in small boats spent a day on the river we had I think it was 82 cod between 11 of us uh, biggest one was about eight and a half pound but a lot of fish sort of like two or three pound weight so the following year I went down there at the time there was probably four of us running on the Mersey there was the Mersey Lass the Ocean Star and can't remember the name of the boat now. Mary Four, which very, very rarely went out. Uh, first year down there, it was sort of like exploratory. We were finding one or two fish here, one or two fish there. Decent sized fish. Second year, it really kicked off. The average, the average size fish the second year was uh, five to seven pound. And you came out with me yourself in the second year, Phil, and I think we had 20 odd fish one day when Stevie Quinn and Rod yep. were on. And, <laughs> Uh, you know the quality, the quality of the fish there was sort of like five to seven pound and that was the general stack of fish and then number of boats increased down there and I'm a big believer that fish move around in cycles you get one good year 
then it starts slacking off and then you get a really really slack year and then it starts picking up and then you get another good year and the last couple of years on the Mersey it's been very very poor uh, a few decent fish last year but we got hit with the with the snow once the snow thawed out it washed everything out of the river so that, that turned out to be a disaster but this year it's good signs we're fishing fishing off rill we're seeing more cod off rill than we've seen for a good 30 years I mean we're, we're catching fish in the two to three pound bracket some days we're getting a few some days we're getting none but it's virtually unheard of off rill so I think the Mersey this year is going to fish really really well there seem to be cod everywhere from people I've been talking to the right up the coast past Blackpool and Fleetwood and they're as far down the coast as Patheli so I think the Mersey is going to fish really well this year as a small boat angler fishing the Mersey and only having New Brighton at the mouth of the river to put in from we have a range of tide and weather related problems which the charter boats coming down the river from the city centre simply don't have that said, you do still have a number of restrictions to work around yourselves so can you tell us what these are and how they impact on your trips? Yeah, unfortunately because um, we're in a, a marina in the centre of the city near enough we're, we're tidal some mornings we've got to sail at three o'clock in the morning well I try not to go that early but some mornings it's, it's like half past three four o'clock and some nights we're finishing nine o'clock at night we try not to not to work any later than that but we're, we're stuck to nine hours a day once we're out a few years ago it wasn't so bad we could get away a bit earlier or come in a bit earlier uh, because the locks were manually operated now they're automatic and computerized and they won't open until there's two meters on the sill whereas a few years back we could get out with 1.2 meters now we've got a we've got to wait so we're stuck to nine hour trips at stupid hours of the morning and silly hours of the night but if you pick the right time you can get a nice easy sail seven o'clock in the morning at one stage if my memory serves me right you used to offer five hour trips on the bigger impossible fast running tides by going out for the last couple of hours of the flood top water and the first couple of hours of the ebb do you not or can you not offer those sorts of trips anymore no that's what i was just saying because the automated lock system now we, we can't do it we lose too much time it's a 20 minute cycle for the lock gates to open because we have to sail with two meters of water over the sill we can't get out with a good three quarters of an hour later than what we used to be able to sail and we're a good three quarters of an hour earlier coming in than what we used to be able to come in so you know a five hour trip now can turn out to be a three hour trip well because the automated lock gates one thing you most definitely can do despite the timing restrictions is when you call a trip on pretty much guarantee that it will go ahead unlike the small boats launching at the seaward end of the estuary when you leave Liverpool Marina not only are you straight out into protected sheltered water you're also virtually on top of some very good fishing too I remember one time being out with you and catching fish in 52 knots of wind tucked in close in front of Birkenhead Town Hall that's a measure of just how much shelter there is providing the wind is in the right direction but are there any conditions that might cause you to call a trip off the only one that actually stops us sailing is a, a north northwest where the winds in excess of 30 to 35 knots you know once it starts getting above 35 knots 
you get a heavy swell travelling up the river it's, you get the um, the waves rolling in hitting the wall and just rolling up the wall and although we're four miles from the sea it travels that far up the river and wind against tide you get a heavy swell this only lasts for a couple of hours once the tide drops the river calms off even when you've got really really strong gales blowing up the river the river calms off as the tide drops but the problem we've got then is we're stuck in the lock we can't get out uh, the boats that sail from Tranmere they can sail later in the day or later in the tide um, there's always somewhere on the river where you can find some shelter. Let's say the only the only thing that stops us sailing really is a really really strong north northwest wind. The main target for sure the back end and winter months is understandably the cod. But as the tide slackens and the cod fishing goes a bit quiet, there are also plenty of whiting and dabs to be had. And let's also not forget the thornback ray potential which generally gets exploited more by accident with the bigger cod baits rather than as a fishery in its own right. Yeah, the good thing with us coming out of the marina is we fish the best tide, we fish the best time of tide. You're fishing the tide down to low and then you're fishing the tide up from low until you get back in the marina so you're fishing the full tide whereas if you were to sail at a set time from Priory Wharf where you could sail at say 7 o'clock every day with the tide times being different every day you'd have to pick the right day for you to get the, the full benefit of the tide whereas with us sailing out the marina we get the full benefit of the tide on every trip that we sail on the, um, the other good thing about the river as well is um, it holds a really really good head of whiting and, and dabs uh, good good quality dabs and whiting uh, we can come out of the marina drop on the bank and fish all day on the bank for dabs and whiting uh, you, you pick the odd cod up on the bank as well I mean most of my big cod that I've had from there have actually come off the bank get a few foam back rays on the bank as well but uh, certainly for dabs and whiting they come in two and three at a time on certain tides and then we can uh, we can move up the river towards the river mouth and fish on the uh, on the bank just by the Brazil boy there and uh, again dabs whiting and rays so you know other than other than cod you've got quite a few other options earlier in the year as well sort of like October coming into um, November there's one or two strap conger in there as well and a few doggies so you know there's several species of fish that can be taken out of the river not just the cod and with thornback ray numbers nationally at an all-time low the Mersey must rate as one of the major hotspots for them in the country. Yeah, certainly the best area I know for uh, for thornbacks over the over the last few years. I mean, you go back 20, 25 years ago, off off rail or virtually anywhere around North Wales, and the uh, the thornback ray fishing was fantastic. You know, you you weren't talking ten or eleven fish; you were talking a hundred or a hundred plus fish in a in a day's fishing. And the Mersey's not quite up to that, but it's not far behind it. Several days last year, we were we were taking up to 50 fish in a session and we don't fish the whole tide for the thornback rays we only we only fish for probably four hours maximum when the tide drops off slacks off a bit and we're able to get onto the mark and once the tide builds up we're away but you know several days last year we were up to up to up to about 50 thornback rays in a day and that was each boat that's excellent fishing by any standards and some excellent information too on a wide range of topics that will, I feel sure, provide a lot of food for thought. 
My thanks then to Tony Parry for taking the time to talk to me. And for anyone out there wanting a bit of first-hand experience, either of the summer fishing off Rill or the winter fishing in the Mersey, simply look up Jensen Sea Angling Charters, www.fish-jensen.co.uk.